Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Man vs. Machine. I'm Theo Greminger. I'm not Billy Muzio. And uh, when I heard I was going to be co-hosting this podcast this week, I tried desperately, desperately over the last two days to, to grow a Billy Muzio-esque beard. It didn't happen. I apologize to everybody. But my, my co-host today does have some facial hair, and that's Bradley Stalder. Uh, Bradley, uh, this is a lot of fun. Me and you have uh, podcasted together multiple times uh, in the past. I'd say we're probably on at least five plus together. This is our first time here. Um, but before we get started uh, on on Man vs. Machine, uh, I'm not sure everybody's aware of it, but we debuted our newest show on Player Profiler last night with Stack Hunters. And Bradley, you had on one of my favorite non-player profiler analysts in Mike Leone, super sharp guy, uh, very well-known guy from Establish the Run, plays high stakes, really, really a uh, truly a, a unique mind. And I really love what you guys did. Why don't you tell everybody about Stack Hunters, when they can see it, and what is it about? Stack Hunters is Roto Underworld's own best ball podcast and show. And it happens starting, uh, well, it started yesterday, Tuesdays, and it will continue for the rest of hot best ball summer on Tuesdays from 8 to 9 p.m. And there's going to be some great guests I'll be bringing on. I already have Herzig lined up in a couple weeks. We'll, we're going to bring in some of the stat masters as well to talk some best ball. So there's going to be a lot of awesome content in the best ball streets for Roto Underworld. I think we're going to do the live stream of, uh, of Pro V Joe's, uh, Pros versus Joe's, uh, that tournament on FFPC. That's a best ball tournament. There's going to be a lot of awesome best ball uh, strategy, drafting, decision making, and uh, and player takes as well. That's uh, what Stack Hunters is all about. We are trying to find the best stacks, trying to draft the best best ball teams. And uh, and Theo, I'm so privileged to uh, be able to to be live streaming this new show debut that debuted yesterday. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I highly recommend everybody check it out. There's two ways for you, three ways for you to uh, to get your, your Stack Hunters fill. Right now, go to YouTube. It's in our previously live recorded shows. You can watch it or you could listen to it on YouTube. So I, I know I do that once in a while. Um, and then also the show, I encourage you to subscribe to it. It's going to be uh, available to subscribe as a podcast today. And then you're going to be able to hear it also on our, on our main feed. So if you get First Class Fantasy, if you get Man versus Machine, you will be hearing Stack Hunters for the rest of the summer. Uh, Bradley, it's I'm, I'm deep in the underdog streets. I'm deep in the FFPC streets. I, I love what you're doing there. And uh, Pros versus Joes, yes, I am a defending champion of Pros versus Joes with Dan Williamson and JD. So I know we're going head-to-head. Um, that's a great thing the FFPC does. We won it last year. We beat Chad Schroeder, which is like, you know, shout out to Chad. Love you, Chad. But every time I'm able to, to finish to ahead you, of you... Chad. Anytime I'm able to finish ahead of Chad in anything, I have to point it out because it's very rare because he's, he's, he's the GOAT. The guy's incredible. Anyway, we have a ton of players to talk about. Today, Bradley and I are talking about players that could be polarizing at ADP and some guys that maybe we're butting heads about at ADP. Are these players traps? Are these players value? Values, we're going to get a chance to talk about that. But first, we're going to hear uh, a little bit of uh, an advertisement for something we both uh, participated in. Uh, the world famous draft kit. Bradley put together some some great help to me in that, 
and we're really proud about the product. So uh, check this out. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's the Podfather of great news. The 2023 draft kit is live. It is world famous. Why? Because it is the best resource for winning fantasy football championships that exists. There are rankings and cheat sheets for every format you can imagine. We have projections both at the team level and the player level. And wherever you are, you can click on a player, open them up and see in-depth written analysis about what to expect in fantasy football from that player this year. And then you can click on the team and you can get even more in-depth analysis, all the drivers of fantasy production, both in a positive and negative direction for that team, including a signature trend. And the graphics are incredible. So these team insights, they give you the team level projections, the vacated targets, the vacated areas, and that one dynamic for each team that you need to know when making decisions on draft day. And we added a bunch of features. I mean, Individual cheat sheets for Theo and Billy and Dario. So you can take your favorite analyst and download their personal draft cheat sheet. And then in the commissioner's section, also brand new this year, Memphis Young lays out everything you need to know to manage a league. Do's, don'ts, tips, and what the more innovative fantasy commissioners are doing this year. That's presented by Trophy Smack. The whole package is presented by the Fantasy Football Players Championship, the FFPC, Ray Garvin, Derek Brown, the best minds in the industry contributing analysis. It's certainly not the most inexpensive draft kit on the market, but uh, it is the best. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Playerprofiler.com slash draft kit. Go get it. Welcome back. Uh, Bradley, yeah, the draft kit turned out awesome. Uh, you you did some good work. You had to redo a player, and that was uh, Bradley w- is is a is a really reliable guy and a really really ch- uh, top notch analyst. And when he gets assigned something, he gets it back like right away, and it's absolutely fire. It's fantastic. So you got James Cook, that was fine, but you also got Ken Walker, and I thank you very much because you went back and you had to rewrite your your very sharp write up for Ken Walker. So. Uh, pour one out for Ken Walker Dynasty Managers. It's going to be a lot more stress than than we we ever thought. But uh, he's a fun player. But uh, Bradley, I'm looking at your show sheet today, yeah, and it's like this is like a come at me, bro, moment because <laughs> you have some guys on here that I like, that I enjoy drafting, that I think have some high upside, like some high, like really elevated ranges of outcomes. But me and you are definitely bumping heads on these. So you're going to take your your analytical approach. And I'm going to take my my you know man approach, and we're going to bump heads here, man versus machine at like just like Billy and Dario do. Why don't you get us started and and let's let's start out with the quarterback position. Well, even before we get into the specific players, I do want to frame my position as these rankings and projections are based on median projections. So Theo, we love the upside. Some of the upside for these players are is certainly tantalizing and and we've been drafting a lot in the underdog streets, the FFPC streets. Make sure you guys are using the promo code underworld when you're drafting in those streets, but we're so so oftentimes looking through the best ball lens where we do see the upside and we see the the bull case for a lot of these players, but projections are median projections oftentimes. And that includes the bear case for them as well. So uh, I let's start with uh, the quarterback position. Brock Purdy ADP right now is quarterback 24. He has been rising since the positive news. I have him projected for quarterback 15. I've been clicking a lot of Brock Purdy in the drafts. Billy, We'll probably like this projection as well. I think that the pathway for Purdy is pretty easy for success. He's got Debo, he's got Ayuk, he's got Kittle and Christian McCaffrey. And the Shanahan offense is all about getting the ball out of Purdy's hands or whoever the quarterback's hands are to his pass catchers. 
why do you think that there's such a discrepancy still between the ADP at quarterback 24 and being a high end quarterback two, maybe low end quarterback one? So it's funny because in terms of you talk about the underdog effect for drafting, and we I talked about this with with Josh Larkey, and we had Hayden Winks on First Class Fantasy. Billy and I had a great chance to talk to him. Uh, he does tremendous underdog content. I would say there's a couple of things with Brock Purdy. A lot of times ADP gets established and people follow it as a map. A lot of times people that are mass entering these contests get into a habit of clicking a guy at a certain point, building a stack, clicking a guy, building a stack, clicking guy. It's been a little bit of a disconnect with Purdy because he's been going so late. Um, so I think that his ADP will rise as the summer moves along and it looks more and more likely that he is going to be the starter in San Francisco. I think that's what the coaching staff wants. I will say, I think your projection for quarterback 15 is fine, but I do think that his his upside is capped based on the fact that we haven't seen quarterbacks really rise up in the Shanahan offense. I think that the bull case for, for Purdy is he's a younger quarterback. We saw the touchdown rate be very, very high last season. Uh, and like you said, a few quarterbacks have, I would actually say that it's probably the best, uh, you know, four, four weapons that any quarterback in the league has with McCaffrey, Kittle, Ayuk, and Debo. So I will say that this is correct, but I don't know if quarterback 15 is enough to move the needle for you. I think this is more of a guy that you want to target in best ball for the structural build, the stack build. I would feel very nervous about having Brock Purdy as my QB1 on like an, an FFPC or an NFFC team. Like quarterback 15, we've seen Jimmy Garoppolo hit that, so I think that's fine. But in terms of Brock Purdy moving the needle for us fantasy-wise, he's going to have to be a more efficient scrambler or he's going to have to throw a ton of touchdown passes. The ton of touchdown passes thing could happen, but I'm not sure I wouldn't necessarily bet on it. I do think that Purdy around makes me like the skill position players a lot more. I think like all of those guys could kind of hit uh, based on you know Purdy and the success he had in the offense. McCaffrey was fantastic with him. We saw a ton of great stuff from Kittle, and Debo and Ayuk have both scored very well the last few years. So I think quarterback 15 is fine. I'm not pushing back on it. I just don't know how impactful it will be for our fantasy teams. That's fair, and I think that quarterback 15 upside – at quarterback 24 ADP is the type of player that you want to be targeting as your like quarterback two or heck even your quarterback three because so many of those San Francisco players are going earlier in your drafts your your Ayukes your Debo's your Kittles um, obviously McCaffrey goes in round one but let's keep it moving in the quarterback position Trevor Lawrence ADP quarterback eight and we loved. Trevor Lawrence's upside. He was top five last year in rate of top five weeks among quarterbacks. We saw really nice spike weeks. The Jacksonville Jaguars were trying to keep up in games. And I'm bullish on all of the, the pass catching options. I mean, I'm a little bit lower than market on Evan Ingram, but I have Christian Kirk, Calvin Ridley, and Zay Jones all projected for more than 120 targets. But Trevor Lawrence comes in as my projected quarterback 16. And I, I feel like the projection is low, but I'm also wondering like, is the rushing equity there for Trevor Lawrence to be able to not just move his ceiling to elite, but also move his floor and median scores to be, you know, you to access the Joe Burrow level because we're, we see, pretty consistent consistently high floors but can Lawrence turn into Burrow in year three under well year two under Peterson but year three in his career I have questions still of whether that can happen with the mobility and rushing I think he can I think you make an interesting point because his ADP has a lot of times we see ADPs overcorrect, where a guy beats his ADP the previous season and then he gets drafted like he scored last year and then all it takes is a slight step back, uh, and you know he doesn't hit. Like if Trevor Lawrence right now finishes as QB twelve, the Jaguars could win eleven games, and the Jaguars would be you know everything would be fine. But he won't give us that sort of fantasy upside. I think there's some bear cases where they run away with this division, and there's a chance that that they're going up against all these young quarterbacks that are unproven. Like if Will Levis takes over in Tennessee. And you obviously have C.J. Stroud in Houston. I mean, there's the AFC South is is like the Jaguars' division to run away with. So, 
I would tend to disagree with you on this one, though, because I think that he's a truly elite talent, and I think that he's most likely going to hit his ADP. Trevor Lawrence, to hit Joe Burrow numbers, needs to give us about 36 touchdown passes. I have him at 31. I have him at 31. So So 31 touchdown passes, with a, or he needs to have a little bit more efficiency as a runner. Yeah, I will say the, the pushback I will say is that this is year two, and a lot of times year two offenses, this is a Sigmund Bloom thing. I had him on press coverage, and he loves talking about we always get excited about regime changes and scheme changes, like you know, making a case for Eric Bieniemy or making a case for Kellen Moore and some new new situation elevating players. And that's absolutely true. But a lot of times you see this massive leap in year two. Year two was Nick Sirianni last year was a perfect example. Ben Johnson took over uh, in Detroit to end year one uh, and, and under Campbell. And then he had a, his first full season. So technically a year two for him and ran away with it. So I, I would tend to say that Doug Peterson offense will look better in year two. I think that the Calvin Ridley addition has maybe elevated Lawrence's ADP up slightly. Although I'll say it's like anecdotal, but there's been a few higher stakes drafts where Lawrence, the gap between Lawrence and the quarterbacks in front of him has kind of fallen a little bit. There was a, an FFPC main event recently where Lawrence was going like towards the end of the seventh round. So I do think it's correcting a little bit, but I think you make some fair points, but I would disagree with you on this one. I think he's going to beat your quarterback 16 relatively comfortably. And uh, it's going to be a high scoring year in the NFL. If, if Trevor Lawrence is quarterback 16, Bradley at 31 (laughs) touchdown passes. That that's fair. I was was looking at it and I said, you know what? I I'm probably too low. Maybe I need to recheck some of the numbers and, and inputs and whatnot. But 31 touchdown passes is not anything to anything to scoff at. Um, the last thing that I'll say is I've experienced a similar phenomenon in many of the drafts, whether it is an underdog or DK and FFPC, I've seen Trevor Lawrence fall 10, 12, 14 spots. And so that has been something that maybe the ADPs are are starting to to correct a little bit and and settle back. Because, for instance, I like Dak Prescott this year. I think Dak is, is a quarterback who's going to like quarterback 12. And it's very much within the range of outcomes that Dak Prescott outscores Trevor Lawrence. I'm not saying one or the other uh, will – but what I am saying is that I think once you get into that pocket of quarterback seven to quarterback uh, 13 or so, it's pr- it's going to be pretty close. And all it takes is a little bit of touchdown variance to get to uh, a, a wonky uh, ranking. Yeah, I think you you, you kind of nailed that. And I think that there's there's a there's always a few guys like last year was the, the low end QB ones and the high end QB twos all busted. That's probably not going to be the case this year. Um, but I think that you bring up Dak. I think Dak's interesting. Um, I do think that the reason Lawrence is falling a little bit in in leagues like the FFPC and also in underdog is because he doesn't have that rushing upside that Justin Fields has. And he's kind of looked at as a discount version of Justin Herbert um, for re- whether right or wrong. So uh, it's an, an interesting one to monitor. I do not mind going into the season with Trevor Lawrence as my QB1, though, on my redraft teams at all. Yeah, same. I'm comfortable with Lawrence as as a quarterback one. Those are projection rankings. Obviously, my personal rankings will have Lawrence significantly ahead of quarterback 16. Uh, we'll shift gears to the running back position. DeAndre Swift has been getting some ADP bumps in the underdog streets. He's at running back 23 right now, but he projects for me as running back 34. It we we are big on Swift's upside. We've seen that time and again. There were only two games last year where DeAndre Swift fell outside of running back 36 on any given week. So we know the floor is very high, but I think there is a bare case for DeAndre Swift that he doesn't get the majority of the carries, that Kenneth Gainwell is nibbling a bit at the target shares, and then touchdown variants can fall the wrong way for Swift when it's Jalen Hurts at the goal line or it's Boston Scott, you know, giving us the uh, <laughs> touchdown to the heart, you know, that that snipe. So I think there are some concerns about Swift not giving us a consistently high floor 
that we were hoping for, even though it is a really nice landing spot and the ceiling, the projected ceiling can certainly be there. But with median projections, I'm a little concerned that Swift might not give back, you know, a, a strong running back to regular performance week to week. So this is the one where, especially if you're a portfolio drafter and you're drafting a ton, you don't want to walk away with no DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift's bull case is league winner. There's there's multiple paths that could lead him here. The whole argument that Jalen Hurts doesn't check down and that Nick Sirianni does not design pass plays for the running backs. He hasn't had a player like DeAndre Swift with this sort of draft capital, this sort of ability. One thing that's been true in DeAndre Swift's career is games that he plays, he's targeted. Offensive coordinators make that part of the game plan to get DeAndre Swift targets. You also have the fact that you bring up all these other backs. Rashad Penny has missed a ton of time in his NFL career. Like Kenneth Gainwell, I think, is a very nice, useful player. I know Matt Kelly is, is very big on Gainwell. I know Billy likes him a lot as well. But Gainwell is a different pedigree of player than DeAndre Swift. DeAndre Swift, everything about him, he does better than Gainwell. Gainwell is a very, very much discount version. So at the end of the day, you also have the home. I, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit hokey, but DeAndre Swift goes home. You're talking about this is one of the best players ever in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, this is a guy from this area that was a dominant high school football player. Now everything's kind of, the story's kind of writing itself where he's coming home. It's an offense that actually could score a lot more Bradley, they had games where Jalen Hurts was not even passing in the fourth quarter. They had just boat raced everybody, and they're way ahead. Um, now you have an opportunity where DeAndre Swift could be in in better game situations. Like, we love the Eagles. We think they're going to win a ton of games. You bring up Dallas. New York's going to have a nice team. Like, there's potential for closer games, especially in the division. And then there's a chance that the defense, uh, you know, recedes from last year. They have a number of new starters. And they on paper, they have one of the best defenses in the league. But whenever there's a little bit of changes, it, it could be, um, you know, games that are just a little more closer game script. So I think you have the contingent upside factor where running backs could go down and it could consolidate. You also have the factor that the coaching staff might just say, hey, this DeAndre Swift guy is really good. Let's get him the ball. You also have the factor that they could pass to the running backs a little more. And then Bradley, how would your projection change if De Devonta Smith, A.J. Brown, or Dallas Goddard miss time? Because I think if those guys miss time, DeAndre Swift would become a bigger part of the game plan. So there's contingent upside if a running back goes down. There's contingent upside if one of the big three receivers goes down. They added nothing in terms of wide receiver talent. Uh, they added Olamide Olim Zacchaeus, who was actually, I believe, DeAndre Swift's high school teammate, mm. um, both coming home to Philly. And <laughs> I don't know. It's like betting against DeAndre Swift. You're talking about a player that there were some high-stakes drafters that were very excited to get DeAndre Swift in the early second round of like $2,000 drafts last year. Now you can get that same player in the same format drafts, like the FFPC and NFFC in like the seventh round. So I think it's a bet on talent. He's going in a range of the draft where if he misses, it's not killing my build, but if he hits, it's really hitting. And then in best ball, like you said, the spike week potential is there. You also have the ability to kind of stack him with hurt. So I would say based on the talent of the player, the situation he's in and the upside potential he should be considered higher than what his projection is. Because his projection is all these backs playing every game and Eagles being pretty similar to last right. year. So I, I think for me, I'm going to bet on the talent. And when I get a chance to draft DeAndre Swift in the seventh, I'm pulling the trigger. When he steams up a little bit, I'm, I'm maybe staying away. But seventh round, DeAndre Swift, I'm going to have a number of shares. I've drafted him a bunch. Me and you drafted him together, Bradley. <laughs> we did. You know, yeah, we did. in a 125. <laughs> so don't. what are you doing, man? We should <laughs> talk up the guys we have money in. <laughs> Oh, I I love DeAndre Swift's profile. It's just that the the numbers weren't coming out right, and I agree with you. If, assuming everyone is healthy, I think that's the limiting factor for for Swift. But you mentioned Penny's injury, but what about Swift's injuries? Like Swift does have that injury history. Um, he obviously believe, couldn't so stay think, on the field. So, so we talk about DeAndre Swift's injury history, but DeAndre Swift, I believe that the least amount of games he played in any season of his career. You can fact check me on this, Bradley. Not a fake news, but I believe he's played at least 13 games in every year, every season of his career. 13 games every year. He played 14 last year, but, you know, leaving early for some of them, you know, whatever. But so that's, I, I, I agree on that. But like the fact is, I think that there's a perception 
And I think it was permeated last year where I think that there was the Lions coaching staff didn't like, you know, him leaving games and all that. But at the end of the day, you're talking about a guy who's never missed a significant portion of time. Running backs miss games every year. It's true. Um, and, you know, 13 games, uh, he's had played at least 13 games in every season of his career. So I think if you ask people, like, what's the most games DeAndre Swift has missed in a in his career based on his reputation, people are going to say, like, eight. It's not. It's been, like, four or five was the most. So what if he plays 17 games? Oh. And, you know, there's there's yeah. we saw what Miles Sanders did last year. And he's a very different back. But Miles Sanders did that without getting any really receiving work. If you see him actually fall into the Miles Sanders role, which is, you know, I'm not going to say it's going to be. It's, I think at the end of the day, Sirianni's a running back by committee guy by preference. But if the high value touches go to Swift, then you're talking about a guy who might finish like RB14, RB15, and really win leagues from the seventh round. Yeah, I think Swift is one of those players that has such a wide range of outcomes, but he can access the elite ceilings that some of the other players just simply can't. You know, some of these running backs that you're drafting in in the fifth round, the sixth round, like we'll talk about Damian Pierce here in a little bit. But the floor for a player like Damian Pierce is so much higher than um, than a DeAndre Swift. But the ceiling for Pierce is significantly lower. Um, We can talk about uh, Damian Pierce here. I have him as my projected running back 10. I'm not very afraid of Devin Singletary. I think he just fills uh, a safety blanket. Uh, maybe the pass catching work of, of uh, giving a rookie quarterback an out, you know, someone that is reliable there, a decent enough pass blocker. But Damien Pierce, his median rush share last year was 83%. Theo, 83% was the median, was the middle for this rookie. I don't think this new coaching staff moves away from Pierce in a significant way. Um, so if he's healthy for all 17 games, Pierce can deliver on a high floor, uh, a high floor season. So I think he has a lot of projectable volume and I think that's his, that's his biggest trait. They also have a fact that there is a, they're devoid of elite, you know, target hog types. I think if Deandre Hopkins actually would became a Houston Texan, like there was a little bit of uh, you know, rumors that that could end up being the case, but I think that would kind of hurt every single skill position player. Um, but I think that Pierce, he's a little bit insulated because he's the best runner on the team. I think for him to hit RB10, his receiving ability and receiving upside would have to be more than he showed last year. I think he's capable of that. But I think that the fact is, like, this is the this is the the statistics versus, you know, like actual coaching staff and, and kind of like the, the, the man, man versus, versus machine. machine. Let's this go. This is a classic man versus machine. Cause like people that, that are, that study metrics and study statistics, like you and my friend, Billy Muzio will point out things like Devin Singletary is one of the more inefficient receivers. You know, the guy, people constantly like to say that Devin Singletary is just this inefficient receiver. He had so many opportunities in Buffalo and, and never really did enough with it. But I would push back and say that NFL coaching staffs that we believe are smart targeted Devin Singletary 50-plus times for three straight seasons. And this is with James Cook on the roster last year, a guy that they used day two draft capital on and that they think they really wanted to be a thing. And when they added Naheem Hines, who is a guy that has finished as a high-end RB2 in this league based on his pass-catching ability – he couldn't take away the receiving uh, work from Devin Singletary either. So I don't think Devin Singletary is a great player, but I think Devin Singletary is the kind of guy that coaching staffs like, and I do worry about him cutting into Damian Pierce a little bit. So I think your running back 10 projection is too high. I will say that I'm in, in a FFPC main event slow draft right now, and it's coming up at the, the I'm at the 12 spot, and it's coming up at the 5-12-6-1 turn. And I'm considering Damian Pierce. I think Damian Pierce is fine, but I do worry that the receiving upside is capped if Devin Singletary gets like 40 targets, which I think is a possibility. Um, I do think that he's by far the most talented offensive skill position player on the roster. I know there's a lot of steam on Nico Collins now. I know Dalton Schultz has done some stuff. I know they bring in, you know, there's Mechie, there's Robert Tank Dell, Robert Woods. There's a lot of guys, but at the end of the day, just with the eye test, Damian Pierce had a ton of juice last year. He's a young back. And I will say one thing that's kind of telling is 
if I was the Houston Texans, I would have used one of those early picks to get Bijan Robinson, and I would have sold a million jerseys. They, he would have been the number one jersey sell in the entire league. You had two early picks. They could have easily maneuvered to go get Bijan and made a lot of money um, and put a lot of butts in the seats, but they didn't. So they obviously have some faith in Damian Pierce, and I think this this new regime in Houston, this coaching staff, kind of gets it. I think they want to have a very strong defense, and I want they think they want to be able to you know protect the rookie quarterback with the running game. So Pierce does have some some uh, real range of outcomes here where he could hit like you know mid RB two level, but I think for him to get to that RB one level, the Texans offense is going to have to beat expectations, or he's going to have to beat expectations as a receiver. I think that's a that could be a big hurdle, but certainly a talented guy. I've seen Damian Pierce even fall into round seven sometimes. And when you're building zero RB, Damian Pierce in round seven as a projected volume guy, and then you sprinkle in some other high upside plays later on, like your Tyler Algiers and your uh, your Mitchells, you know, out of San Francisco. Those are the types of players that you can pair with your Damian Pierce that has a high floor but maybe not the weak winning ceilings that we've seen in the past. I do think when you get into an FFPC or NFFC type redraft, if you take Damian Pierce, I think that there is, there's a argument to taking Devin Singletary later because Singletary has been pushed so, so far down where he's not being drafted with the, like the, the kind of cool handcuffs to take. He's kind of like a guy that people kind of take begrudgingly I wouldn't do it an underdog where you have only 18 spots. I wouldn't want two Houston Texans running backs. I think if you're going to go bang, bang running back um, and take two from the same backfield, it should be like the Buffalo situation, something with like a higher outcome. But I think in redraft, it's okay to take both. And if Pierce misses time, I think Devin Singletary get a lot of volume. It wouldn't necessarily be great, but it's a structural pick. Um, That's kind of what I'm doing when I take Pierce in, in redraft. All right, let's keep her moving. Uh, before we move on, I do want to talk uh, about James Conner because Conner is a player that the projections came out extremely high for. And you mentioned a player who has a history of injuries. Like he only played 10 games back in 2019. He missed four games this past season, but he's rattled off two straight top nine PPR seasons. He had a top seven PPR season back in 2018. And back, you know, from Kyler Murray's injury onward, he was a top 15 weekly running back as his floor. He was getting top four, top five weekly, even with these backup quarterbacks. And I'm, I'm almost afraid, ashamed to say, like, my James Conner projection gets him to, to running back two. And the, my, my, I, I understand the absolute fear, but what if they just hand off to him 25 times and he's the running back that you need and they dump it off? Because who's going to be the quarterback? It's going to be Colt McCoy or it's going to be, um, you know, the uh, Clayton, Clayton Tune. Clayton Tune, yep. right? Who's a rookie quarterback's best friend? It's going to be, you know, that that veteran running back who who's reliable, who's been uh, leaned on very heavily. It's hard to see other players leaned on heavily in this Arizona offense with the departure of DeAndre Hopkins. There's just a, a pocket of emptiness that maybe it's going to go some to Rondell Moore. Maybe it's going to go some to Trey McBride, but there's almost a 30% target share that's all that needs to get split up. And we know Marquise Brown is going to get his, but I think there's enough volume and opportunity and James Connor is good enough and there's no competition that I think running back 27, his ADP is baking in all of that injury risk and the risk that Arizona is actually bad and he can't score touchdowns. But I think that there is a really high ceiling for James Conner that is not being accounted for in the ADP. Every year you get these teams that nobody wants to draft and there's ADP winners from. Last year, Cleveland, no one wanted to draft them. Nick Chubb's ADP went way, way down. Um, and then Amari Cooper was like free. Amari Cooper is like a wide receiver four, low end wide receiver three. Uh, obviously, I don't think James Conner is a Nick Chubb, um, but we also saw this last year with Seattle. Tyler Me- Tyler uh, Lockett, DK Metcalf both fell in ADP. The running backs were both cheap. Ken Walker, you know, obviously had this the situation where Penny uh, goes down and then he runs away with it. I think that Arizona is going to be bad. Vegas is telling you Arizona is going to be bad. 
But I do think that from a structural play, if I go hero RB or if I'm really pushing it and I'm going zero RB, James Conner makes uh, makes some sense because I do think I'm going to get a ton of volume in the first six weeks. Yes. And and shout out to the, to the chat who's throwing him the ball. I get it. But at the end of the day, Bradley brings up the fact that they are devoid of pass catchers. And also, if you look at what James Conner did as a receiver last year, I believe he was top two season in his career in terms of catches. And that was based on playing a number of less games. I think the, the thing that you run into an issue with James Conner is that he's getting a little older. And these every time you go down and you miss some time, it kind of wears on you. And all of a sudden, the floor falls out from under you. I think James Conner makes a lot of sense when you can get him a little later. I think when he starts sliding up in the sixth round, you have to worry about a, a little bit about the team situation. But structurally, he makes a ton of sense. And Bradley, if you look at his points per game finishes, uh, pretty much every single season, he's right there. And right. last last year, the offense was bad to end the year. But James Conner was giving you top 10 production in terms of points per game from a weekly perspective. So I think you know, running back two is definitely not happening. But I think that him finishing as a mid-level RB2 is fine. And I think that if he stays healthy, he won't be RB27. He'll probably be closer to like running back 18. And if the touchdowns somehow hit, or if he takes like a a Joe Mixon-like leap in terms of catches, then he could finish like inside, like maybe running back 14. I I wouldn't bet on that, but right now he's, he's a very strong structural play. And I think the way you do it is if you want to draft James Conner, then he opens you up to take some of these high-end handcuffs and hope that one of them uh, you know, sees playing time as the season moves along. Because I do think there's a chance that after like week six, week seven, James Conner starts to break down. Because I think the guy's getting 20 touches every single week. But he was I think playing struck- 90% of the snaps every week from the Kyler Murray injury on. And I've loved, if you disagree with, with Bradley and my take, Keontae Ingram is free. And Keontae Ingram has a clear path to being the RB2 there. And I think he's a like-for-like replacement that can catch the ball. He's got some decent size. And if you do take Connor and you want to protect yourself, this is a situation. I like the 10-round rule for for handcuffing. And if there's a 10-round gap and I don't have to spend like a a Ken Walker, Zach Charbonnet would be bad process. But in redraft, getting a James Connor with a a Keontae Ingram I think would be fine. So I'm with you, Bradley. I think he beats ADP. I think it's fine. Uh, Go James Connor. Go James Conner. We're here. We're here for the James Conner love. Uh, but we've got a couple more running backs. Bijan Robinson has gotten steamed up all the way to running back three in the underdog streets in ADP. I've seen him go running back one overall. I've seen him go running back two overall. He's been consistently a first round pick. And I was asked on a Fantasy Pros podcast back in January. Bradley, give us give us a spicy take. Give us a hot take for 2023 and I said spicy take is Bijan Robinson is going to be a top five running back and now look I'm not even that spicy I am mild I'm not even medium that's like the market has said no Bradley this is like vanilla ice cream now but Bijan Robinson running back three I have him projected as running back 15 and my concerns stem from the Atlanta Falcons and how they run their offense. I believe in the talent. I think Bijan number one in the class for sure. Definitely a top dynasty running back. Uh, but my concerns in the immediate this year one are that last year, the Atlanta Falcons only had five, actually take that back, six different games where a running back got 50% or more of the rush share. So this is unlikely that all of the rushes are going to be going to be John Robinson, which means that there's going to be some love for Tyler Algier. I think this speaks to Algier was the number one PFF graded running back from weeks 10 onward. He had over a thousand rushing yards. Like this is a player who I just don't think is going to go away completely, but I think Bijan getting 18 to 20 touches in a game still gets him to mid pack to high end running back too. But there's a pathway for failure that I think the market just I think everyone likes the shiny new toy and my concerns are that that shiny new toy will have its spike weeks, but there's also going to be some lumps that you're going to have to live with with B. John Robinson, the Atlanta Falcons. Shout out to Tyler Knable in the, in the, in the chat and shout out to you, Bradley, but you guys, come on, give me a break. <laughs> give me a break with this one. Uh, I'm sorry. This is my, my man thing. 
Bijan Robinson is a unicorn. Bijan Robinson is the truth. And you're well, talking that's what about, they said about Kyle Pitts on Atlanta too. This is apples and oranges. This is the same. Uh, this is the same uh, offensive coordinator who's now head coach Arthur Smith, where we saw the meteoric rise of Derrick Henry, where we saw 350 carries for Derrick Henry. Bijan Robinson is not that sort of player. But Bradley, you, you bring up Tyler Algier. Tyler Algier was a fifth round pick last year. He got a thousand yards rushing out of him. The year before, Cordero Patterson had done nothing in his NFL career in terms of a consistent weekly production, and he turned him into an RB1. One thing Arthur Smith knows how to scheme is running backs. This is a guy that they took in the top 10 of the NFL draft. This is one of the best running back prospects we have ever seen. You also have people in Atlanta comparing him to Debo Samuel, like 2021 Debo, where they're going to use him in interesting ways, getting him out in space, running different routes for him getting him targeted out of the backfield. I think it's more likely that Bijan Robinson finishes as RB1 overall than finishes as, where do you have him? I'm having to look way down here. Running back RB15. 15. There's a better chance of RB1 overall than running back 15. Tyler Algier, the good thing about Tyler Algier is he's he's shown that he can do it in the NFL. And if Bijan Robinson misses time, I think he's a super useful guy to have. If you're doing a zero RB or hero RB build, he's a classic handcuff back that I'd want to have. I would not expect weekly production from Tyler Algier. I think he's he's a like, hey, let's get Bijan a breather and let's give Tyler Algier, you know, every fourth uh, series. Bijan Robinson's going to catch more balls than people think. I think that you know the the misconception that he can't catch in this offense is crazy. This is a player that they're gonna they haven't had a guy like this. This is like the next level superstar player. This is a guy that a year from now we might be taking at the one hundred one in redraft. I think he's going to smash this year. And I'm all about him at ADP. I think that taking him in the top five is a, is a little risky, but I understand it. If you're in the FFPC main event, if you're in the NFFC primetime, you're competing against so many people. You want somebody who's going nuts down the stretch. And at the end of the day, Austin Eckler and Christian McCaffrey are both entering their seventh year in the league. We haven't had a guy in their seventh year in the league finish number one at the position since I think Jamal Charles. Bijan Robinson is going to cook this year. Bradley, come on, man. Adjust that ranking for me. Give me a break. You've been talking to Billy Muzio too much. You guys are too too and too much. And Tyler, Tyler Canable, shout out to Tyler, um, who's doing some cool stuff for us at Player Profiler. Tyler, get off your boy, Tyler Algier. <laughs> get on the Bijan Robinson train. Start start liking guys with a ton of talent, not fifth round picks who exceeded expectation. So to be fair to me, I have Bijan Robinson projected for over 300 touches in the season. So 279 rush attempts. I have him for 31 receptions and, uh, and 13 total touchdowns. So it's not a nothing year is it's just that uh, I don't look at my boy, George, George Casipas <laughs> is, is laughing at you. He's laughing at you an LOL for this one. Jessel Jones, RB 15. Come let's on. Let's go. Let's go. Bring it, bring it on. Bring it to Bradley guys. Give it to him. Yeah. Come on. Give me, give it to me. <laughs> Your anger makes me strong. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think Tyler Alger, you mentioned, is the handcuff that you want, though, because yes. if Bijan does get hurt, not only did we see Tyler Alger perform well in the second half of last season, but we also know that this is year two in the offense. The offense should be better with Pitts and London, you know, full go. And uh, and so I think that the Atlanta Falcons do take a step forward. But how much forward with Desmond Ritter is a big question. Um, I, I don't want the machine to get, uh, get broken or malfunction here. So we're going to have to keep moving. Keep it going. Uh, James, James cook ADP running back 30. I project as my running back 48. I think there are just concerns that he won't step into the full Devin Singletary role. So are there other, uh, there are ways of failure. We did see James Cook, and I wrote about James Cook as you know the the upside option, the bullish option. But I think there's also bearish floor that he wasn't able to beat out Devin Singletary last year, even in the second half. We did see him get more touches and get more snaps, but he still didn't exceed forty percent almost ever in any of those. And and now we bring in Damian Harris is going to get the high leverage touchdown touches. Um, I wonder if. James Cook is getting steamed up because he's on the Buffalo Bills. 
if it's if he finishes running back for a simple answer here is if he finishes running back 48 it means naeem hines is a thing or latavius murray's a thing and they're using three running backs yeah, in the latavius committee. murray is also a concern frankly so i've a lot of the beat reporters are saying that there's a comp- competition between lat murray and hines for rb3 i understand the damian harris case but damian harris is not a pass catcher i will take the over here on james cook relatively comfortably i believe in the talent i believe they want him to become a thing he had a very high breakaway rate. I think he's a big play guy. Um, I'll, I'll, I will go James Cook uh, finishing closer to his ADP than your projection. But I can see it, Bradley. I'm not. I'm not like standing. This is not like a Bijan situation where you know we have to <laughs> we have to really push back on you. Go ahead. We don't need. We can keep going here and go right to Miami. Yes, we will because Theo's back to back to the standing. Um, so Jeff Wilson, Raheem Moser, Devin Devon A Chain. ADPs of 58, 54, and 38. So A-Chain in the ADP streets is the highest uh, because he's the shiny new toy, because he's the rookie. But the ADPs for Wilson and Mostert are outside the top 50. And I project that Wilson and Mostert are probably going to take the majority of the rushes. Maybe A-Chain gets more of the receiving work, and or maybe he gets some end-arounds, some manufactured touches. But Wilson and Moster didn't give the coaching staff any reason to move on from them. I mean, they're still on the team. We do have concerns with Moster being like 32 and Wilson being 27, 28 years old. So there's a pathway for A-Chain to be the number one back in this. But I, I think you we can't ignore the massive ADP differences between A-Chain and either Moster or Wilson. I prefer Wilson, but Theo... Um, I know you are a, an A-chain stan, um, but is this gap appropriate? I think it I think it is because I think A-chain, uh, by all accounts, is going to get the receiving work. And I think what's interesting is we don't have a third receiver in that offense. Uh, the average fantasy fan cannot name you the starting tight end in Miami. Term's and. Fine. You're not the average fan, though, Bradley. You are you are a, a machine. Just for those and who are average fans, it's Durham Smythe. Durham Smythe and a little bit of Elijah Higgins, I'd say, would, would be competing. Elijah, Rookie former Elijah wide Higgins. receiver. Yeah, former wide receiver is interesting to me. But A-Chain is a very effective runner in the, in the Southeastern Conference, which is a great indicator of NFL success. A-Chain is a good inside runner, um, and he's also got breakaway speed. He's got true Olympic-type speed. And also has the receiving ability. I think that Wilson and Mostert were placeholder backs that were familiar with the Mike McDaniel system and familiar with the Mike McDaniel as a coach. Mostert he brought in, Wilson he traded for, and he got a lot out of those guys last year. I I do like taking Wilson late in best ball, um, but I think that that the ideal scenario would be A-Chain develops his place on the team. He's a consistent threat out of the backfield as a receiver. And he's got home run breakaway ability. I think they're very insulated by the fact that you have the two, two of two actually like lethal weapons on the outside in Hill and Waddle. And I think having a third speed receiver underneath in in A chain who can also run the ball effectively uh, is is potentially big time. And I'll say A chain. There's this perception that he's like the tiniest guy. He's definitely small, but he's put on weight. The guys put on weight. Um, by all accounts, he's playing it. He's like in like the one nineties now after being in the combine in the one eighties, and I think that's a kind of significant. Again, all you got to do is put put the tape in. This is not you know this is big boy football in the southeastern conference, and he, he was running for a ton of yards against very very good fronts and physical teams. So I'm willing to bet on on the new the new toy in Miami. Give me the shiny new toy, Bradley. And in best ball, I really like A-Chain, but I think in best ball, Wilson also has some value. We'll move to the wide receiver position. Devontae Adams comes in as my projected wide receiver 10. His ADP is wide receiver 10. But is this like a balance? Or do you think that this is just a hedge of the market that we're just not sure how Garoppolo, uh, that Garoppolo situation hangs? I think it's a little bit because, I mean, I think it's a lot because of the Garoppolo situation. I think right now, uh, Adams is going in a really low spot. I have in my main event, I passed on Adams for Amon Ross St. Brown and AJ Brown offenses, I think are going to score a ton of points. And I have a little bit of FOMO with it because I think that there's a chance Adams could really burn people. Adams his his weekly finishes. I mean, we don't really need to get into it or his yearly finishes. We don't really need to get into, but the guy last year had one of the best seasons of his career 
um, with Derek Carr in a brand new offense. It's year two for him. He showed no signs of getting older. I think that the hate might have gone a little too far. I know Billy is off of Adams. Josh Larkey's off of Adams. There's a lot of people that are really smart that are kind of pushing him down. But at the end of the day, Adams earns targets and Adams is a stud. And I think that if he gets down to like mid-second, he could he could end up being kind of a league winner. I've seen him go mid-second. And at that point, I'm really considering him given what his past production has been. And also, I mean, it's just Jacoby Myers in Vegas. So it's there's, there's a lot of targets to go around um, for the Vegas Raiders to Devontae Adams. Uh, let's do a couple more wide receivers and then a couple tight ends, and then we'll call it a day. Uh, Debo Samuel, wide receiver 18 in ADP. He's my projected wide receiver five. He said that last year was his worst year. He looked back at the film, said he's going to bounce back. Do we believe in a Debo bounce back, or are we still concerned that McCaffrey's going to take enough of the rushing away and Ayuk and Kittle are going to take away enough of the receiving? I, I think in the order of receiving, it's it's McCaffrey and Ayuk and then Debo and then it's Kittle. What do you think, Theo? Debo offers us spike week potential, and we have seen Debo score more than 20 points per game, uh, which is special. There's few wide receivers in the NFL have given you a 20-point-per-game season, and Debo did it two years ago, and they paid Debo. So at the end of the day, like last season, we'll call it a wash, but I do think Shanahan is a good enough offensive mind that with a full offseason of having Christian McCaffrey and Debo together, they're going to be able to kind of scheme for that. Because a lot of it was McCaffrey came over and they quickly adjusted and became a McCaffrey offense. And I think that Debo, even with McCaffrey there, Debo still led all wide receivers in terms of, of, of rush attempts. He still has that in his game. I think if McCaffrey goes down, Debo is going to be a massive value. And at the end of the day, I think it's going to be a very consolidated target tree. Good enough that he'll support himself. Like, Debo to me is neutral. I, I took him recently at the three, four turn. I think that's a perfect place to take him. Fourth round Debo is perfectly fine. Like you're talking about a guy last year that was getting steamed up so high. It's it's maybe overcorrected. I love Ayuk. Ayuk could absolutely lead San Francisco in terms of wide receiver uh, points. He did it last year. But Debo is a, is a very talented player with spike week potential. I'm, I think he's perfectly fine where he's going ADP wise. Great. Let's move on to Chris Godwin. His he's wide receiver 29 is getting drafted almost at, at the wide receiver 30 position. He's my projected ranked wide receiver nine. He's more than a year removed from his ACL, but there's no Tom Brady. So the massive volume is a question. We do have concerns about the Tampa Bay, like environment, like who's going to be the starting quarterback, Baker Mayfield, Kyle Trask. I think it's probably going to be Baker. I don't think Trask is particularly good, but Godwin at wide receiver 29. We think he's a talented player. He's put up massive years in the past, even without Tom Brady. So at wide receiver 29, I feel like I'm getting a big time value, even with the uncertainties and maybe the scariness of the Tampa situation. This is kind of like Seattle last year. People are pushing down Evans and pushing down Godwin to a, a level that's lower than where they're going to finish. Neither one of them is being drafted inside the wide receiver two line. And Rashad White is a borderline RB2. So there's nobody that are people are betting on in Tampa. No one wants to draft Buccaneers. At the end of the day, Chris Godwin is a target earner and he's a fantasy uh, scorer. I think you're spot on with this one. I do not know about wide receiver nine, um, but I think that him beating ADP is, is almost a given. I actually think Mike Evans will beat his ADP as well. And at the end of the day, you can't be anti There's people out there that are anti-Rashad White and anti-both Bucks wide receivers. You can't be anti-Rashad White and then also anti-Godwin because if Rashad White's not getting targeted, then the wide receivers are getting targeted more than we think. Um, so it's kind of like a you can bet on, on Bucks. I think that there's a chance that the team could be very bad, but as long as they're consolidated, you're going to be fine. And I think at the end of the day, Evans and Godwin have scored consistently in their careers under multiple quarterbacks. Let there be a competition, Bradley. Um, Chris Godwin will score. But wide receiver nine, a little bit spicy, but I think like wide receiver 15 absolutely could happen. Yeah, absolutely. All right, we'll move to the last piece. Couple tight ends. Darren Waller, he is ADP tight end seven. 
I projected him as tight end 11. Theo wanted to fight me through the Twitter sphere over Darren Waller. Just get it out of the way. Beat the machine. Well, your your big argument against him was you showed me his point per game finishes, and the worst one you showed me was tight end 10. Okay? So, like, even la- last year, last year in a situation where he's next to Devontae freaking Adams and Josh Jacobs in his career season, you you have you have uh, Darren Waller like you know basically punting a lot of his season himself with like the the you know the no show uh, games and all that kind of stuff when he's trying to get a get a contract. He still manages to finish his tight end ten in points per game. You have Brian Dable and the New York Giants going out and targeting him with a trade, getting him, and I think they're going to feature him, Bradley. And at the end of the day, when it comes to tight ends. The tight ends that there's very few tight ends that can give us a hundred targets. Like if you go year by year, there's only a few guys that get a hundred targets. Darren Waller is one of the guys that can get a hundred targets this year. And I think if you look at the wide receivers around him, they have a lot of these kind of like slot guys in, in New York. Um, obviously Darius Slayton's still there, but it's a lot of these kind of like slot situations. You have like Wandell Robinson, Paris Campbell, Jalen Hyatt, um, then you have like Hodgins who has a, a small sample size. I think Darren Waller leading them in targets is the plan. And you also have the contingent upside of a gross thing coming out today is they're at a stalemate with Saquon Barkley. Let's Ooh, say Saquon yeah. misses a couple games. Darren Waller becomes even more of a thing. Daniel Jones is very solid on low A dot throws. And I think they're going to move Darren Waller and get him in advantageous situations all season. Uh, we've had, you know, again, I'll bring up Sigmund Bloom. I think he's pretty good with tight ends. And he's all over Waller, thinks he could be tight end two overall this year behind Kelsey. I don't know if you need to bet on that, but I know that like in, in NFFC and FFPC, you're not having to use the same draft capital on Waller that you've had to the last few seasons, despite the fact that he's now the clear number one uh, target. We saw what he did as a number one target with Derek Carr, and we saw what he did as a number two target, um, you know, with the, the Renfro rise and then the obviously Devontae Adams last year. He's much better when he's the featured number one target. I think that's what New York wants to do. And Bradley, at the end of the day, if he finishes tight end, you're you're saying he's tight end eleven. You're projecting that his worst possible tight end finish, despite having less target competition and despite the team going out and getting him. So I don't know, Bradley. I think this one, I think you might be wrong on this one. <laughs> well, if I had more time, I would go at you more, Theo. But check out uh, our Twitter back and forth, our conversation regarding that, because Theo uh, Theo gave me some, some big punches there. So uh, we'll finish off with last tight end, one that I'm higher on market. Kyle Pitts going as tight end five in ADP. I have him for tight end four. I'm more bullish on the tight end position. I mean, John U. Smith is there, but I don't think that's going to move very much for Kyle Pitts. Uh, if anything, we like the high A dot. We like where he's running. He's running the Mike Gesicki routes, but he's better than Mike Gesicki. He commands the targets. He, We have more confidence in Desmond Ritter. So Kyle Pitts, I am back in on for this year. I didn't think I would be, but here we are. I think it's fine. And I think like all my arguments for Bijan Robinson, I think Bijan Robinson is such an impactful player that I think he's going to elevate Kyle Pitts or Drake London. Kyle Pitts and Drake London are going with similar ADPs and not tight end pre- non-tight end premium formats. And then in like the FFPC, because of the way wide receivers have gotten steamed up, um, they're they're actually closer than you think. Like Kyle Pitts, the fourth rounder, and Drake London goes in like the usually like the fifth or sixth round. So the one thing Kyle Pitts, I think he's a better deep threat than than Drake London. And one thing about Kyle Pitts is, like we talk about with with uh, 100 target seasons for tight ends, we've seen this with Kyle Pitts. We saw it two years ago where he went over 1,000 yards and he was heavily targeted. So there's very few tight ends in the league that have given us a 1,000-yard season. We've already seen this from Kyle Pitts. And I think that people, a lot of times drafters get burned a year before and it makes us not want to draft a guy this year that's poor process um i think kyle pitts is fine where he's going bradley and at the end of the day the it's like the it's like the positives outweighing the negatives like if he misses, we had he worst misses. case scenario for pitts last year it was that it couldn't get any worse it's going to be better the catchable target rates is going to be there the offense is going to take a step forward ritter in year two 
Drake London, Pitts is healthy, Bijan Robinson moving the ball. So I we're we're I'm more bullish on Pitts and you're I think overall bullish on the Falcons this year. Yeah, I'm I'm and I'm absolutely if anything, I'm neutral on Pitts. Like where he's going, it's fine. Yeah. And I'll say for 20 man FFPC drafts, it allows you to take a tight end and not have to worry about getting into the chig and the Dulcich and the Kincaid and the Higby the traps, range the where you're having to take all these shots. Yeah. When you take those guys, you've got to draft multiple tight ends. If I take yep. pits, I can wait, take a second, but Bradley, we're creeping up. It's almost man. It's almost mind of mansion time. Matt oh, Kelly go. has Nick Bottaford on today. It's right after us in just two minutes. So we're going to say goodbye. Tune in for first class fantasy tomorrow with Chris Ficaro and Nando DeFino. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. This was a lot of fun. And look for Man versus Machine next, next week as well. Hey, you like that video? Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.